Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you. <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint and your carpet, maybe they're animal smells, maybe you're a smoker or someone else was, just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours, I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE.
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. You're walking through a clearing, and you come across this sound. It sounds like a man moaning. And you walk up to him, and he raises a hand up to you and begs you for help. And you can clearly see that he's wounded and wounded badly. Do you think you have what it takes? Do you think you have it inside of you? Whether you consider this good or bad, most people probably consider it bad, to walk up to that man and shove a bayonet into his stomach? Do you think that's something just for barbarians? We'll come back to that. The Japanese are a different people. They always have been different. I will tell you, you've probably heard it before when you've heard me discuss them. You will almost definitely hear it today. If it sounds like I have a bit of admiration for the Japanese culture, guilty as charged. I do. Not saying they're perfect, but you know my thoughts. Nobody's perfect. I don't do this, you know, these people are saints, these people are sinners thing. I don't do that. This culture is perfect. This culture is garbage. I mean, there are some garbage cultures. I've told you about them. And... The emails you're writing to me as we speak about the monstrous subhuman things done by the Japanese, especially like in World War II, they're all right. Uh, You're welcome to send the email. You know, I read them all. They're all right. I'm not arguing with you about that. I know it. But their culture is different. It's insular. Maybe that's part of being an island nation as they are. I know a lot of that comes from their their history. You know, they had a real kind of a feudal system and samurai, and it was just a rigid, rigid culture to this day. To this day in this modern world, not really much violent crime. <laughs> Hardly any violent crime, even in their major cities. It just doesn't. What other place in the world has that? Every other place, the United States of America included, in major cities, has real, serious, violent crime problems. Not so much in Japan. And leading up to World War II, I'm still... I've had people explain this to me. Like real historians. I've had them try to explain this to me. And I still don't understand how they did what they did when it comes to World War II leading up to it. And here's what I mean by that. They had, especially in the late 1800s, they were backwards. And I mean backwards, probably mid-1800s, compared to everybody else as far as technological advancements. They had nothing. They just decided... They weren't going to move along with everyone else. Now we're not advancing anything. My sword's doing me just fine. Think I'll head out to the rice rice patties. Ah, we're musket. Muskets are fine. And 
almost all of a sudden, they woke up one day. Now, it wasn't all of a sudden. People were landing there. They were finding out about how the rest of the world was doing things. But they look around one day and just decide, you know what? I think we're going to advance now. And and just did it. <laughs> just did it. It would, it's, this is a bad comparison, but it would be like some, some tribe emerging from the Amazon and walking into your, your, your life, seeing your cell phone and, and your Netflix and the oven and the microwave and everything and just saying, you know what? I'm going to do this too. And you show up at their house the next week and they have all your stuff and better stuff. And you would think to yourself, what? And they just, through force of will, woke up one day and decided we're going to advance rapidly. I think that's incredible. Maybe, maybe part of my admiration for Japan is I want that kind of obsessive self-discipline. Now, I'm obsessive. As you know, I've broken this down for you before. I have an all-in personality. Good and bad. I guess you could say the same about Japan. Good and bad, they're all in when they're in. When Japan did war, World War II, they did it all the way. That's really good sometimes. Sometimes that's really, really, really bad. So maybe that's it. Maybe I admire that. But I admire the self-discipline too. I just think it's cool. Now, Japan gets its stuff together. They go from being a backwards country to a really, I mean, top-of-the-line country. They get involved in World War I on our side. Then, and not that involved, let me clarify here. They're not, they're not in the trenches on the Western Front. They get kind of involved, do a little of this, little of that. They're helping. They're fine. And then at the end... When we were divvying up everything and deciding who got what, because certainly Germany deserved to get screwed, Japan got left out. And some of that, and you're going to hear me talk about this a lot today, as you always hear me talk about, some of that was racism. Now, I do not do what every single other person, especially on the right, does, and people do it on the left does, about racism. This is racism. That's racist. Oh, everybody's racist. Uh, when I say it was racism, that's because it was, and Japan was more racist than anybody else. Japan was terrible, too. They thought they were superior to the Chinese. They thought they were superior to us. Caucasians thought they were superior to the Japanese. That is, again, the history of the world. You're all out there trying to fight racism every day when that is human nature. Fight it in yourself. Don't worry about other people. It's always going to be around, I promise you. But they did think of the Japanese as lesser and lower, so they had a little axe to grind. And Japan starts building up this military machine. And then they decide, I mean, we all think that World War II started December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, you know. Or if you want to backtrack a little more, well, it started when Hitler invaded Poland. Um... It really started when the Japanese invaded China, which is a weird deal. I'm not going into it today because it's not what today's about. But Japan just kind of started moving into China. 
and then started moving their military into China and then just started shooting people in China. And soon Japan decided, I like this. I like this part of China. We're going to stay. This is ours now. This was before Hitler ever invaded Poland. But America starts to get involved, meaning we're cutting Japan off from valuable supplies they don't have on their island. They had no oil. The world was running on oil. Japan had, to its credit, again, built up an elite navy by this point, and it ran on oil. So they're taking over other islands, and now they're mad at the United States of America. In America, under FDR, we are starting to level at them some very, very, very significant threats. It should be noted, pay attention, because it's happening as we speak. Other parts of the world joined us in leveling those very serious threats at Japan. Um, stop what you're doing. Get out of China. Stop that. Okay, you're cut off. All right, I'm going to ask my buddy to cut you off too if you don't. Okay, you're all right. Now my buddy's going to cut you off too. And tensions are growing. And you have people who aren't going to lay down. And we're not going to lay down. And now you got a problem. Hang on. Now, tensions are rising. Japan is wanting China and more. Wanting, and I should say, see, again, it's going to sound like I'm defending them. This is the worst because I kind of am. Wanting and needing more. You have this big navy. Uh, military, you need to think of it this way because ours is no different. Right now and always, any military ever. What have I always told you? What is that saying? I blatantly ripped off from somebody and I don't remember who it is. Amateur study tactics, professional study logistics. A military always needs to be thought of, thought of as a gigantic hungry animal. A gigantic hungry animal must eat. It must drink. And when you are Japan and you have built up this juggernaut of an army and a navy, especially a navy because they're so expensive to build and it takes so much to keep them going, you now need resources. You do not have them on your home islands of Japan. You're going to go get them. So Japan comes up with a plan. And here's their plan. Well, America has cut us off. That sucks. America also is a manufacturing juggernaut. Again, nobody talks about this today, but remember that great Japanese admiral, I believe it was Yamamoto was his name, said anybody who has seen the oil fields of Texas or the auto factories of Detroit knows you cannot win a long naval war with the United States of America. That's his exact quote. 
You may not think about it. I may not think about it. But other countries very, very, very much look at manufacturing capability when they're looking at military capability. One of the first things Hitler did was send people over here and examine the manufacturing capability of America. Again, it should be noted they went back and told him what it was. He laughed in their faces saying there's no way it's that high. And they actually undershot. <laughs> America won World War I and World War II on the factory lines. Things get broken. Things get damaged. Oh, no, our aircraft carrier's down. We're Japan. This is going to take six months to fix. Oh, no, our aircraft carrier's down. We're America. We'll have it out in a week. That's a big, big, big difference. A big difference. So Japan knew this. But Japan had a plan. Contrary to what you've heard, Japan knew attacking Pearl Harbor was borderline suicidal. They knew it. They were very open with each other about it. They also thought, and you could make the argument they were right, again, this is me defending Japan, that it was their only shot. They had no shot otherwise. Their thinking was, we can sit here and let America cut us off from their goods and let America use their influence to cut us off from the world's goods, or we can take a cheap shot at America Try to put them down on the canvas for an eight count. While we take that cheap shot, we take a bunch of these islands that are flush with resources around us, dig in, build a fortress. By the time America gets back up, they will decide it's going to be way too expensive in money and blood to take back our fortress. Then they work with us. That is actually not a bad plan. They knew it was a long shot. They were open about it. They laughed at him. They laughed at Yamamoto when he brought it up. And he said, if you don't do it, I'll quit because it's our only chance. And they were like, ah, okay, we'll try. It was their only shot and they knew it. So they did it. I'm not going to go through Pearl Harbor. It's not about Pearl Harbor. They nail us. They wound us. They do not cripple us for good. And frankly, again, they underestimated our manufacturing, we repaired a lot faster. But understand this, Americans, because we're Americans and there ain't nothing wrong with this, we focus on America when it comes to conflicts and what it meant for America. Pearl Harbor was a big deal. It was a big moment and God rest their souls. We're going to do a Memorial Day special, by the way, Monday on the guys we've lost. But America likes to focus on December 7th, 1941. You mentioned that to any American, they'll mention Pearl Harbor. For Japan, Pearl Harbor was simply one of the many things they had planned for that day in the two or three days after. You see, in one of the most remarkable coordinated things I've ever seen in military history, Japan attacked several places. All those islands I said they wanted to take, and they attacked them within 48 hours of Pearl Harbor and took them all. Do you know how long it takes to cross an ocean with an army to take an island from somebody? And this island is 1,000 miles away, but this island is 250 miles away, and that island's 2,000 miles away, but this island's 500 miles away, this island's 3,000 miles. Are you seeing what I'm saying? 
you have to send off this force at exactly this time, and this force has to be sent off at exactly that time. Up, oh, this force can't leave yet. Up, oh, this force should have left a month ago. And somehow they had it down to a science. When I say remarkable people, I mean it. It was impressive. It, it is impressive. And they launched, and they took all these islands, and they began to build their fortress. And I mean dug in. They were shipping workers, construction workers, engineers, and concrete into these islands like you cannot possibly imagine creating the island fortresses you know today when you think about the Marine and Army island-hopping campaign through the Pacific as much as it Absolutely wounds me to give credit to the Army for any of that. Yes, they were heavily involved in that as well. It's thought of as a Marine Corps thing, and yeah, the Marines were the tip of that spear. The Army was there fighting beside us a lot. A lot. Now, which brings us to the opening battle. Japan had a great Navy at this time. Our Navy, it should be noted was not great yet. It was good. It was potential. It was potentially the greatest the world's ever seen. Meaning, look at our Navy today. Of course, it's the greatest the world's ever seen. If you look at our numbers today of our Navy, go pull it up. You'll find a little chart on Google Images real quick. Our Navy is not better than everyone else's. It's so much better than everyone else's. Second place can't even really be considered second place. Our Navy is absurdly good. Absurdly good. Now, China is trying to close that gap, but our Navy is absurdly good. But they were not yet. And we do this. We look at Japan's Navy and our Navy, and we think, huh, Japanese had no chance. Oh, they had the better Navy at this time. They did. And they had these gigantic juggernaut battleships. Japan's Navy was very impressive. But we need to start taking back some of these islands, which brings us to a place, a living hell called Guadalcanal. We have not tangled on land with the Japanese yet. So what happens when you haven't actually fought someone yet? Well, you are really, really susceptible to propaganda. Both sides. Them and us. We thought, and I mean, there's some truth to this. We thought these guys were freaking barbarians. We had gotten word back on the things that had already happened by this point in time in places like Nanking. Rape and human atrocities and torture and there was, I mean, look, you can go read the books about it in Marine Corps boot camp and Marine Corps training. You'd have drill instructors talking about how the Japanese can survive for 3,000 years on a piece of beef jerky. And all. I mean, it's, it's obviously stuff that's not true, but eh, it's kind of true. Hang on. You need a good night's sleep every single night. And I know that cycle you're in because I've been in it where you don't sleep one night and it sucks. 
and then you don't sleep two nights, and it sucks. And maybe the third night sometimes you're so exhausted you actually pass out and get six or seven hours, and you wake up and you think, man, I feel a lot better. This schedule is going to work for me. Buddy, it's not going to work for you. Long-term, it is terrible for your health. It's terrible for your mental performance, your physical performance. You need to sleep. Go get an ebb sleep. It's a wearable device, not pills, a wearable device that calms your thoughts and puts you to sleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryeb.com slash jesse. And use the promo code jesse. Get you 25 bucks off. Go start sleeping today. Well, Japanese are dug in. We're going to motor our way across the ocean and get them undug in. But remember the conversation we just had about the Navy? The Marine Corps is going through the exact same thing. You think of the Marine Corps in great terms. And you should. Look, this great fighting force. I may sound like a bit of a homer there, but they're pretty daggone good, man. Real good. But at this time, at the beginning of World War II, they're not that yet. They have the right mentality. They have that same aggressive Marine Corps mentality you know and love. They do. But there there aren't that many of them. We're talking under 100,000. Granted, by the end of the war, there's half a million. By now, there aren't that many of them. There just aren't. So you got to get some Marines. You have to figure out how you're even going to land on these islands because the plan is to land on the islands. That sounds easy, right? Well, hop on one of those, hop on one of those thingies, the tank looking thingies where they, 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 you get on them and then they drive into the water and they drive onto the beach. Yeah, that, that sounds good now, That didn't exist. Then you got to invent one. You got to figure out, um, okay, this is difficult. And then and now and always understand this landing a fighting force from the ocean onto land, amphibious operations, they're called, is very, very, very difficult. It just is very difficult. The ocean is unforgiving. It's not just a smooth like you putter across. You have to have something seaworthy. You have to have something seaworthy that's relatively bulletproof, gives you some kind of protection against something. Oh, and by the way, bulletproof means it needs armor. Armor means weight. Weight means it's going to sink lower in the water. Sinking lower in the water means you can't get by the coral reefs to get on the island. Are you seeing the problems? They're endless. The ocean is unpredictable. It provides no cover whatsoever. They're sitting there dug into the land, and this is back in bow and arrow age. Bow and arrow age. (laughs) Let alone guns and artillery. They're dug in. They've got their sights already zeroed in on certain parts in the water. You are coming from the ocean. 
There's no cover whatsoever. Amphibious operations, landings from an ocean onto the land in assault are very, very, very difficult. It just creates a tactical nightmare. And the Marine Corps has to figure out how to do this and figure out how to do this to dislodge a dug-in capable foe. And remember, we thought the Japanese were crazy barbarians, which they kind of were. The Japanese, however, and this is going to be a big part of our story. Well, they, one, were believing a lot of their own press because, let's be honest, they've been kicking the crap out of everyone for some time now. These places they were taking, yeah, they were taking some losses, but they were the far superior fighting force. And wouldn't that have an impact on you? If you were some kind of fighter of some kind, a boxer, a warrior, whatever you're doing, and you've spent years now beating the daylights out of everybody you face and hardly ever getting a bloody nose, wouldn't that creep into your psyche of, these guys are pillow soft. (laughs) Clearly I'm superior. And remember, there was a racist thing there, too. Look, it wasn't just us calling them Japs and Nips and everything else, They the, the, the derogatory names they used for the Japanese. They hated us, too, and they thought we were an inferior race. They thought the Chinese were an inferior race. They did. And they thought Americans were soft, very, very soft. They thought we were soft and privileged and just were going to be no match for them at all. So we need to learn how to land on the islands, and we go to New Zealand to do training first, and then they decide, uh, never mind, we're just going to go. Uh-oh. We haven't even trained first. They they left New Zealand, tried to get, do some training in the Fiji Islands, then they left the Fiji Islands before getting the training done, and they were so disorganized and left so quickly, they accidentally left Marines behind in the Fiji Islands. Imagine that. Standing there watching the boat sail away. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be on those ships. That's That looks like all of our ships. And now we get to Guadalcanal. And now you have to land. And you think you were about ready to face the meat-eating barbarian super assassins. And you motor your way down. And the reason you're landing on Guadalcanal is there's an airfield. The Japanese have put an airfield there. And airfields were essentially everything in the island hopping campaign. This is the era. This is the only era you and I have ever known, but this is the era of the airplane. Of fighter planes, bomber planes, supply planes. Planes are your whole world. Everybody likes to talk about the aircraft carriers and battleships of World War II. It was the planes, man. The planes were the ones taking out ships. It was the planes. Planes were the ones resupplying. And we, if we were going to get a toehold, had to take this island. We land and we discover this island is essentially every single crappy environment rolled up into one. You land. Apparently the beaches are beautiful there. I've never been. And now you've got to contend with sand. You leave the sand And you get into thick, disgusting jungle. All jungles are not the same. This jungle was disgusting. To this day, everybody talks about how bad it smelled. 
If you read an old guy's story about it, if you hear an old guy talk about it, the whole island stunk. And it stunk because the trees were so thick, the sun couldn't get to the bottom. So everything on the jungle floor was wet and soggy and rotted. And you know that horrible smell, right? Humid rivers. Because if you leave the jungle and move inland, you go through gigantic elephant grass, which slices your skin open, and then you get to mountains. Well, mountains mean water. Water means it's going to flow downhill somewhere, which means rivers. Did I mention Guadalcanal had saltwater crocodiles? And what else are you going to get with that much water sitting around? Mosquitoes. Malaria was a gigantic, gigantic problem. They were issuing medicines to try to get, it was a preventative medicine to keep you from getting malaria, But I don't know what the medicine was. I know our anti-malaria medication did some messed up things to my mind, boy. I'm not kidding. You would take it before we did our jungle warfare training and you would have the most vivid nightmares you've ever had in your life. Don't tell me that that's somehow healthy for the human body, that I'm taking an anti-malaria pill that makes me dream things. (laughs) That That doesn't sound good at all. Now they land on this island, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking D-Day, right? They're, they're gonna they're dying as the boat ramps are dropping. Nope. One, there weren't that many Japanese fighters there. Two, they weren't even on the beaches. These guys landed right away, and the biggest problem they had was all the equipment they were unloading was piling up on the beach. All right, we gotta move this stuff somewhere. Then they go, and this airfield they had to take, they take it pretty much right away. Not even that much fighting. And they're looking around thinking, man, did they overhype this Japanese army. There ain't even that many of them. I don't see what the big deal is, right? Except so often in life, the big deal comes from a place you're not expecting. The big deal was on the way. BoomerNaturals.com, that's the website you need. Now, that's the website you need for quite a few things, but mainly what I want to talk to you about today is face masks. You and I both know whether you want to wear one or not, you're going to have to wear one at some point in time. Here's what I mean by that. Employers are going to start requiring people to wear them in order to come back to work. We're already seeing this. We're seeing it in various big box chains around the country. You walk in, face mask is required, or you're not allowed to shop there. And if you think it's going to stop there, you're wrong. It's going to be sporting events, concerts, planes already are requiring it. You have to have a face mask. Why not get a comfortable one and a good one from BoomerNaturals.com? Go to BoomerNaturals.com and use the code JESSE20 at checkout. Get you 20% off everything you buy every time you buy. BoomerNaturals.com, promo code JESSE20.
We land. We take the airfield. Life is good, right? Well, no, because we still got a major, major problem. Remember, as of right now, their Navy is better than ours. Our Navy is green. They don't know what they're doing. Now, we also didn't have a big one yet. Obviously, we're not, we're not at that stage where we're churning out carriers and battleships and planes. This is early. And we know the aircraft carriers, the Navy we have, is precious and should be guarded preciously. And so people look at what I'm about to describe to you as something that some kind of abandonment of the Marines. It really wasn't that. Strategically, it was the right move. Now, I've always been firmly on the side of the Marines because I was a Marine and I I can't imagine this feeling, but what happened was we landed the Marines on the island and before we could even give them enough food and ammunition, started losing a little naval skirmish here, a naval skirmish there. Our Navy got slapped around so bad they actually had, you know, a, a, a trial for it. Some guy killed himself, one of the captains. The Navy took off. Hey, we'd love to sit here and unload all our stuff. We'd love to give you all your food and ammo, but we can't risk our ships, man. We got to bug out. Good luck. Now, imagine this. If you're a young Marine, they're not superhuman. They're just people. You are not a seasoned veteran, most of them by this point in time. You're a young, fresh-faced Marine. You've just been landed on an island controlled by superhuman barbarians who survive off one grain of rice for 9,000 days. It's not true, but that's what you believe. They don't give you all your food or ammunition, and you watch as the Navy sails away and leaves you there. Yeah. Not good. Now, there's way, way, way too much into the Guadalcanal battle that that I could ever unpack in a show or even will try to unpack in this show. I mean, it went on until February. And understand, it wasn't only this main island. There were a couple little mini islands around it with some vicious, vicious fighting. One of the islands had a, marine, a bunch of Marine Raiders, which are essentially Marine Corps Special Forces. These guys were studs, and they got so savage, they essentially just pulled out the whole unit when they were done because they were all either dead or wounded. I mean, it was vicious, vicious fighting, but the Japanese start to land on Guadalcanal. Well, there's no U.S. Navy. We want to take that airfield back. Let's land, and let's start beating up these effeminate Marines. These are Americans, bunch of sissies. And they land... And that old problem that gets you into trouble every single time, well, it got the Japanese in bad trouble. We are Japan. We are, we are superior. These people are a bunch of women. You know what? I bet they're going to be scared to death if we attack at night. And so instead of a smart well-reconned approach to attempting to take back a Marine Corps defensive position here or a Marine Corps defensive position there. They just thought they were going to charge in 
and steamroll the Marines in the middle of the night, only it's the Marines, Jack. And we mopped them up. Bad. Really, really, really bad. And then they throw in a first wave and then a second wave. And, and it's all those bonsai charges you like to hear about where they just, just eventually throw themselves at a machine gun position. And here's where the two different cultures, one, I am not going to say turned out to be superior, but for World War II purposes, turned out to be superior. We started learning some things about the Japanese, some harsh lessons, and applied those harsh lessons. We started learning that that guy from the beginning of the show who's laying down, wounded, waving for help in the field, you better shoot him in the face or bayonet him right away. Not because you're cruel or because you believe in prisoners of war, because he's almost undoubtedly holding a grenade with the pin pulled or hiding it underneath him to blow you up because he wants to die and kill you with him. In one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in studying all these battles and wars, no Japanese army ever surrendered in mass in World War II. Do you know how absurd that is? Every single other country had armies surrender in mass at various times. Never once happened in Japan. They would not surrender. And we learned they're not surrendering. They're probably just trying to kill you. And we started killing prisoners as they're surrendering. Does that offend you? It shouldn't. That's life. You see, real war is not Captain America with his shield and his perfect teeth. And yes, ma'am, and no, sir. Real war, especially war like that, it's ugly. I remember watching an interview some years back with one of the Marine Raiders. And what had happened was they had come across some of our guys who had been captured by the Japanese. You had to send out two or three man parties to do different things. That's just the way combat works. We need to go fix some wire here. We need to go set up an observation post here. And the Japanese, well, they did warfare the old ways. And torture was a part of that. And they found our guys in really, really, really bad shape. Dead and did not die well. And it, it always struck me, this Marine Raider flat out said to the camera, I don't remember I don't remember that we ever took a Japanese prisoner after that. Now, you know what he's saying. We don't like to think about it, right? These are our greatest generation, and they are. But... What he's saying is we killed them all. Every single one of them. Shoot. And some units, even in the Italian campaign, it was simply a matter of policy. <laughs> Not official, mind you, but it was simply a matter of policy. 
because we didn't have too much pride like they did. We learned who they were and we applied those lessons. Hang on a sec, we'll finish up. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. So we learned who they were. The problem is the Japanese refused for far too long, and you can argue for the entire war. Guadalcanal is just the first of many, but it's maybe the best example of it. They refused to learn who we were. We were not soft. We were not uniquely frightened by night attacks. We were not going to run away when they came screaming with a bonsai attack. These were... United States Marines. And they were really, really good, man. (laughs) They were really good. And they were really tough. And the Japanese just kept doing these stupid things that you would do if you thought you were facing an inferior, weak coward. They could have learned from the first failed one or the second failed one. And I'm not going to go over the Battle of Bloody Ridge and all the other different battles in Guadalcanal. We've already gone on a little long today. But it's a fascinating conflict with vicious fighting. But in the end, they had to abandon the island because they would throw thousands and thousands and thousands of guys at it. And even though our guys half the time were starving, they couldn't get us out. What dooms you so much of the time in life. And there's a reason it's in the Bible. Pride goeth before the fall. It's pride, man. Being too proud to learn. Being too proud to advance. Too proud to adjust from failed strategies. If you're the Democrats right now, you have... A golden opportunity to bounce a sitting president. When I say golden opportunity, I'm not saying I think Trump loses. I definitely think there's a chance chance Trump loses. We have new polling out from swing states, but you know how polling goes now. But the best defense of any sitting president is the economy. Sitting presidents get get reelected about 75% of the time. Let's just understand something. In in normal circumstances, it's very 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 hard to bounce a sitting president. It's the power of the office. Everybody complains about the president. Everybody hates the head coach. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Uh, this is his fault and that's his fault and he sucks and he sucks. But in the end, you know him, and you're still getting a paycheck, and yeah, all right, I'm going to vote for him. I just won't tell anybody. That's how it works, Republican or Democrat. 
people will vote for the devil they know. It's hard to bounce them. However, your best chance at bouncing a sitting president, unless you get a third-party candidate like the whole Ross Perot, Clinton, Bush thing, the best chance at bouncing a sitting president is a bad economy, period. It just is. All of a sudden, you're not getting a paycheck anymore. Guess what else matters to you politically? Nothing. I hope you've never been in this situation before, but I have been in this situation before where I don't have work. And when you don't have work, that is a feeling that I can't describe to you unless you've been there. When you're staring at a family and the bills are piling up and these bills are due and you have no money coming in and there's no money in the bank, brother, I don't want to hear about anything else. I don't want to hear about your foreign policy. I don't want to hear about social issues. I don't want to hear about anything else. Until I can feed my family, I don't want to hear about anything else. And as long as I am feeding my family, I'm pretty okay with it. That's part of your priority, right, in life. Just the way it is. So with an economy bad, you are ripe for takeover if you're a president, Democrat or Republican. So let's be honest. We have 40 million people unemployed, at least. It's actually 50 or 60. This is a great opportunity for Democrats to take over the presidency, period. It is. I don't want that. I'm voting for Trump. I'm going to tell you to vote for Trump, but it is a great opportunity for Democrats to take over the presidency. And pride is going to doom them. Three things they're doing right now. One, they're not taking the wide open lane of being pro-open up the economy. Trump has been pro-lockdown. He's changing direction now, but he's been heavily pro-lockdown. That is going to be a huge weakness come November if you have anybody willing to say this guy killed the economy by locking us down. Instead, Democrats are have too much pride to stand up and say he killed the economy. What are they saying? Oh, we, we need more lockdowns. He's costing lives. The public is not going to blame the president for lost lives during a pandemic. They're just not going to, nor should they. He didn't do it. That's one. Two, Joe Biden. I'm not even being mean to Joe at this point in time. The guy cannot speak. He can't get through a five-minute television interview from the comfort of his home speaking clearly. That guy is not going to be president of the United States. A scared Desperate American public is not walking into the polls in November and voting for a senile, possibly dementia-riddled patient. They're not. They won't do it. And you have every opportunity in the world right now to put your heads together, get the billionaire donors together, get the party leaders together, and let's figure this out. Okay, we can't have Joe. That's fine. Let's change directions. But pride is killing you. You can't get together as a party and just say, hey, remember when we ran everyone else out of the race and left it for Joe? Hey, I made a mistake. 
I made a mistake. We screwed up. Let's change that. Let's fix that. I don't have too much pride to admit I screwed up when I suggested Joe Biden. We need to abandon ship now. And finally, too much pride to admit some of these policies they have just aren't popular. They're just not popular. I admit so many of the things I want. I'm telling you right now. I would like to, if put in charge of everything in America tomorrow, I would do things that would horrify you. I would take virtually every single government bureaucracy and I would drop their budget to zero and fire every employee and I would demo the building and salt the earth behind it. You'd be mortified. If I had my way, I'd eliminate the public school system in America. Yeah, I can see you staring at the radio in disbelief right now. I would. I think it has been a horror show that has been part of destroying this culture and bringing down the country. FBI, gone. Department of Education, gone. Taxing the rich guy more than the poor guy, gone. Flat tax for everybody. I would do things that would horrify you. But I can at least admit, I don't have too much pride to admit it, I can at least admit that's not popular. I'm outside of the mainstream. I'm not going to sit here and say everybody would vote for my eliminate the FBI policy. No, people would be horrified. My gosh, 70-80% of the public would be like, oh my word. They would. So when you have this Democrat policy that I'm about to talk about, it's unpopular. It has been unpopular, it is unpopular, and it will be unpopular, especially in this current environment, and they can't change. I just, my jaw drops. Hang on. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it. For $4,000, she has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer, they will help you out. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.